God, we are humbled by your grace in our lives, God. Thank you for who you are, and thank you for sending your son to die for us. And we're one family, even though these guys are downtown, the universal church all over the world. We're one family because of what Jesus has done for us. And we're just so thankful, so thankful. And God, even as we look at your word today, we pray that you would speak to us in a unique way. You are alive, your word is alive and active, and you speak to us, God. And we pray, we open our hearts to you so that you would convict us, you would encourage us, you would exhort, you would do whatever you want to do in our life so that we could become more and more like you. God, we just give you all glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the crazy things about growing up in India is the traffic. I have a love-hate relationship. I love it because it's a challenge. Every time you drive, it's almost an obstacle race. You're trying to avoid people, trying to avoid crazy drivers, and even animals. Don't be surprised if there's a cow standing right in the middle of the street. But the frustrating part is obviously because of the volume of traffic, it's going to take you longer to get to your destination all the time. My house was about five miles away from where I worked and it would take me more than an hour to get there every day. But I want to give you a picture right here of what traffic is like. So this is my home city, as you can see. So you have cars, you have buses, there's a water tanker there up there. There are these motorbikes and there are what we call autos, those yellow things. That's, what, that's how we used to go to school and all of that. And here, if you notice, there's an ambulance stuck right in the middle of this picture. Thankfully, the siren is not on, so everything's good. But imagine trying to make way for that ambulance. And that's what our daily commute was, was like. And the drivers follow their own set of rules, which is basically what, the opposite of what you're supposed to do. So if you're following the actual rules, you're in trouble. So you don't follow the rules, so you're not in trouble. So I remember this one time, my friend and I, we were traveling on a motorbike. We were the first bike at the, uh, at the red light. And we had this van right behind us, and the van honks. And we go, what does he want us to do? It's, it's a red light right there. And then he honks again. So we look back and we just tell him, it's a red light. And then the next thing you know, we're, we're gently hit by that van and he pushes us forward. And so we basically like, we're like, no, we gotta follow the rules. And here this guy is just slowly taking us past the red light so that we could keep going. That's how. It works. Now the traffic police, they're pretty chill about it because imagine trying to police all of these guys at one time. That's, that's impossible. But one thing you do know about them is at the end of the month, you know you got to be careful because they got to meet their quota of tickets that they issue. So you're going to be in trouble at the end of the month. And there was this one time where a few of my friends, actually pastors in our church, they got into trouble. And I remember that because it was so funny. The city had come up with a new law, check this out, that only two people were allowed on a motorbike. Now, if you're wondering why such a law even exists, here's why. This is how we load up our motorbikes. So you have a family, the dad, the mom, you've got four kids, 
on that bike, you see a dog in that sack there. And guess what? There's a puppy. Look at that guy in the middle. He has a puppy as well. <laughs> so that's how it is riding on a motorbike in India. So you can imagine the, the garment goes, we can only do two. Or else this is very, very dangerous. So these pastors... We're just going from the office to, uh, you know, from our office to the church, which is just a couple of blocks. And two of them got in the bike, and then there was this third pastor who didn't want to walk. So he goes, can I just, like, tag along? They knew it was wrong, but they were like, you know, it's just, it's just two blocks. So it's okay. Sure enough, a cop stops them, asks for their license, and in the course of questioning, finds out these are three pastors who are disobeying the law. And the guy who's a non-Christian, he goes, guys, you're supposed to set an example for us. You're Christians. You're pastors. And yet you are transgressing the law. What this policeman said is a common sentiment that is shared about Christians, particularly even in India. They always expect hold Christians, even though we're a minority. Less than 2% of 1.4 billion people are Christians. They hold us to a higher standard because they know, they know that Jesus lived an awesome life, a higher standard that he set, and he wanted us to become like him. We're called as believers to positively influence society, yet we often fall short. In fact, Christianity has a bad rep because of badly represented Christians. Could be some of our friends. In fact, my family, um, my mother's side of the family, they're all Hindus, they live in Sri Lanka. And one of the biggest impediments for them accepting Jesus as their savior was, was, was they were in partners in business with a Christian guy who cheated them and ran away with a bunch of money. And they go, we, we can't trust you guys is if you, it's like, they go, we have more people who have more integrity than you guys. How can we follow your God? I'm sure if you had asked these pastors before this incident, if this was right or wrong to have three people on that bike, they would have without a doubt answered correctly. But the knowledge did not impact the way they actually lived or what they did. And this might be a minor Incident, it's nothing big, but there are so many areas in our lives where we know what God calls us to do, where we know what the Word of God says, but there is a disconnect between what we know and what we do, between what we believe and what we actually act on. And that's a failure in some ways of our discipleship. You see, discipleship is one of the implicit assumptions behind even our mission here at 180 Chicago to help people come alive as disciples of Christ. Discipleship was intended to be transformational, but we've made it informational. We might know the right facts. We know the scriptures. We know what God wants us to do in specific situations. We know how we're supposed to react Yet it's hard to get that resolve 
or we don't seem to be able to do what is required at that time. And I'm not sure if that's you, but it's me. There have been times where I know how to treat my wife or my kids, how to talk to them. I know, man, you know, don't get frustrated. But I do get frustrated and then I get, I react in a sinful manner. We don't seem to be able to experience the transformative power of God to effect change in our lives. And that impacts our family, our relationships, and our community. Our witness in the community is diminished. And if you feel that's you, that's me for sure, I have an important question to ask. If after all our hearing of truth and conviction of the Holy Spirit we are still fundamentally unchanged in critical areas of life, we must ask the question, what have we missed? What have we missed in our discipleship model? What have we missed in the way we live out our Christian journey? Why is there this disconnect? We're in a series called Dunamis, Four Essentials of a Spirit-Filled Life. And last week, we looked at the power of prayer. And the word dunamis, if you're wondering what it is, it's a Greek word from which we get the word dynamite or dynamic. And this word is littered around the New Testament, about 120 references to the word dunamis in the New Testament. And it means inherent power. Power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. And it's a power that comes to us from the Holy Spirit that is not explainable in human terms. Last week, Pastor Carl, in his sermon, he mentioned this spiritual power that we have from the Holy Spirit of God is the birthright of every Christian. We have this power in us. Ephesians 1, verse 9 Ephesians 1.18, here's what Paul says. He prays for the Ephesians church and he says, I pray that the eyes of your hearts are enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And listen to this. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. In other words, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that we have access to because of the Holy Spirit in us. And Jesus, when he ascends to heaven and acts, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Our ability to fulfill God's calling in our life. To live a victorious life that God intended us to and to minister in a world that so needs God is contingent on whether or not we are able to live out this dunamis power that God has for us. And today we're going to look at a vital topic that is so, it's so foundational, it's so essential that positions us to even experience the power that God has for us. It's the power of humility. The power of humility. 
Listen to these quotes from a, a few famous authors that underscore the power of humility. Francis Frangipane, this is what he says, humility is the substructure of transformation. It is the essence of all virtues. And then Andrew Murray, in his classic book, Humility, if you have never read this book, here's one book that I would recommend you to read in this year, 2024. If you don't have a reading list yet, get this book by Andrew Murray. It's called Humility, I think The Pursuit of Holiness. That's the subtitle of that book. And this is what he says. Humility is the only soil in which the graces root. The lack of humility is sufficient exp explanation of every defect and failure. The lack of humility is the sufficient explanation of every defect and failure. Think about that. Humility is the substructure, the foundation, the soil on which everything else hinges in terms of our lives virtues, the fruit of the Spirit, everything hinges on that. And if I were to quickly define what humility is, this is what it is. It's having an accurate self-revelation in light of the greatness of God and our humanity. It's living in light of an accurate view of God and self. We know who we are, we know who God is, and we ourselves see ourselves the way God intends for us to be seen. In Romans 12, 3, Paul says, For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. My wife and I, we are really enjoying the stage of life that we're in. We've got two young kids. Our daughter, Roshni, is three years old, and our son is eight months. But we just love the stage of life that our daughter, Roshni, is in. We just enjoy her creativity, her energy, her silliness, and every day is an adventure. And at this time in life, she's also learning important roles about, lessons about roles and boundaries. What does it mean to be a child? What does it mean to listen? What is our role as a parent? But sometimes she gets that mixed up. You know, there are times where, you know, she's, she's got strict limits in terms of her screen time. And then I would come back home after work, play with her a little bit, and then I would probably watch some sports or something. And she would come and she's like, uh, can I watch TV? And I go, no, you can. You know, you already watched what you needed to, so it's my turn. She'd be like, no, I want to watch this TV. She goes, no, no, it's, you can. And then she flips it on us. She goes, you can't watch TV. And I go, why? Well, it's bad for your eyes, so you can. And then I'm like, well, I'm not watching for a long time. And she goes, well, if you watch, I got to give you consequences. <laughs> and we go, no, you can. You can. And, and this week, I walked in on her giving my wife a timeout. <laughs> she takes mommy by the hand and with great seriousness closes the door behind her and says, mommy, you have consequences for disobedience. You need to stay in this room for a timeout. Like Roshni, we, 
all get our roles confused sometimes. God is God, we're his creatures, but sometimes that's flipped. We think the world revolves around us and sometimes God is at our beck and call. He's almost a cosmic bellboy where when we need something, we need him, right? You know, we need him to listen to us as opposed to the other way around. And humility is realizing who we are and who God is and acting accordingly. We see God for who he is and we, we view ourselves rightly. One character in the Bible that exemplifies humility is John, John the Baptist. This guy was acclaimed awesome just because of who he was, his birth and, and his, the call in his life. In fact, when the angel announces John's birth to his father, Zechariah, he goes, he will be, this is what it says, he will be great before the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the children of Israel to their Lord, their God. And even Jesus acknowledges the greatness of John the Baptist. He says, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. And yet in John chapter 3, we see John's disciples are concerned that Jesus is growing in stature. Jesus is getting all the fame now. Jesus is the one baptizing and his audience is, is dwindling. So they come to John the Baptist and they go, Master, what's going on? Everyone's going to Jesus. And here's what he says. John 3, 27, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. And he goes on in verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. What an awesome word. He must increase and I must increase. If we have a motto, a mantra for us, this is it. Christ must increase and we must decrease. And if you look through the scriptures, there's just so many results, benefits in terms of like humility. And I'm just going to like spout out a few for us. We get God's personal assistance when we are humble. In James chapter 4, verse 6, he says, But God gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We get God's personal assistance when we're humble. You want God's personal attention? Stay humble. Isaiah 66, 2, this is what it says. Uh, verse, I'm going to read verse 1 as well. It says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. There's personal assistance, personal attention, there's personal exaltation as well. In Matthew 23, 12, Jesus says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be 
exalted. Here's the thing about humility. Humility is a choice. It's something, it's a posture that we adopt. And it's not something that we can do on our own. We got to go back to God in prayer by the power of the Spirit to be able to constantly put on humility. Because you could be humble right now, and in 10 minutes, you could have that sneaking pride where you think you've, where we think we've got it all and we can do it. We don't need God. We probably won't think that, but that's the implicit assumption of pride where we are self-sufficient or we think that we are. In Colossians 3.12, Paul says this. He says, put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Almost like clothes we wear. Put on humility. And when we do that, that creates the soil for God to work in our lives. And this is counterintuitive because the world, in the world it's about power, it's about strength, it's about survival of the fittest, it's about being the best person that you can be. The way up is up. Whereas in God's economy, the way up is down. Where we decrease and we let him increase let me tell you, if we do put on humility and if we work with God in this, we're going to leave a huge impact in our communities, in our relationships, and the people that we encounter because they're going to see God in us and that's going to make a huge difference. So the rest of this time, I just want to share three revelations that would position you for the power of humility. Three things to keep in mind that would position us for the power of humility. Number one, you've been given everything you need to walk in victory and radiate God's excellence. Let me read 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. This is what it says. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Let me read that for you again. His divine power has granted to us everything, all things that pertains to life and godliness. Everything that we need. We've been given so we could walk in victory, so we can have put on humility, just like how Scripture commands us to do. And this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible because this is amazing. We have access to an untapped and unending resource in God's power and God has gifted us that already. Our reality might not look like that, but that doesn't change the fact that this is objectively true. I shared this verse yesterday at our 180 Discovery, and every time I think of this verse, I think of my city. One of the most baffling things was that we always had so much rain during the fall, but then when summer rolls by, we always had a drought. 
In fact, I remember times where we had so much rain that we were marooned in our homes for about three days where we couldn't go out. And we were stuck. But then summer rolls by and there's no water. I remember my, my mom waking us, up, waking us up at 6 a.m. because we had to go. This was the summer. I wanted to sleep in. I go, what do you need, mom? She's like, well, we got to go and get some water. The water tankers is lining up. People are lining up to get water. So we had to take our pots. We had to go and fill water because... That's the only water we had that would last through the day. And then sometimes, you know, we had probably an hour of water supply at home. So we had to fill everything at home, every container, everything in the kitchen, pots, pans, doesn't matter, with water because that's all we had for the day. And it was confusing because we had so much rain. What happened to all of that rain? And it was because of illegal construction. It's because our drain systems have not been updated since the 1930s. And illegal construction has been you know, built in, on wetlands, marshes, places where the water can seep in and, and replenish the water table. And sometimes our Christian lives can be like that too. We have so much rain, but we don't have water. We have access to every spiritual blessing but the reality is far from it. But we know today that the thing that unlocks us, the thing that postures us to receive and experience the transformative power that God has for us is humility. And what is our response to this gracious provision of godly life? If you go to verse 5 in that same chapter, it's not going to be on your screen. It says, for this very reason, so he's, been, he's given us his divine power, and then verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. So he's saying, add to your faith virtue and humility, as we saw, is the essence of all virtues. Our response to God's gracious provision for a godly life should be a fervent pursuit of virtues, humility. And again, we do this in God's power. So number one, you've been given everything you need to walk in victory and radiate God's excellence. Number two, you are a common vessel that God uses to reveal that human fragility is no barrier to God's power. Human fragility is no barrier to God's power. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this is what Paul says. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. He says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay, referring to our mortal bodies, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We have this treasure in jars of clay that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And the Bible is replete with ordinary men. These guys are not superheroes. But you could see God do amazing things through them. 
even as they gave themselves to God, I think of the story of Sarah. God promises Sarah a son. Doesn't happen. She's getting old. She loses faith. She has she gives her maidservant to Abraham to so that she could have a son. She's 90 years old now. In Genesis 18, God visits Abraham. God says, by this time next year, you're going to have a son. And what was Sarah's response? She laughs. She goes, what? Me? I've passed the age of childbearing. I'm never going to have a child. And she laughs. It was so incredulous. Guess what happened? She had a son. Isaac and Isaac means he laughs. There is nothing impossible with God. There is nothing impossible, with God, and we are vessels for God's power to be manifested in us. God uses us when we give ourselves to Him to think to do stuff that we could have never imagined in our own lives, and it's never too late to start. It's never too late too late to give God control of our lives so that he can do those immeasurable mind-blowing things that he can do in our lives thirdly the greatest asset to learn is learning to boast in your weakness and finding a strange contentment in the challenges of life in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, this is what Paul says. He says, where God says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do we see the paradox here? When we're weak, that's when the power of God, the power of Christ is manifest in our lives. When we're weak, He is strong. And again, Paul, the book of Second Paul's letter to Second Corinthians is a very interesting book because Paul, it's a defense of Paul's ministry and his apostleship. You know, the churches have grown. Now there are other ministers, specifically Judaizers, who question Paul's credentials. They, they, you know, Paul doesn't, did not come in terms of like worldly wisdom and worldly power. You know, he only was there in God's power. Whereas these guys, you know, these false teachers showed their apparent strength by domineering over the Corinthians. And Paul says, we don't minister that way. And he says, the authenticity of our ministry, this is just the crux of this book, comes out of hardship, of trial and suffering. We serve rather than demand, and we put on display the power of God in our weaknesses and lack rather the boasting in our abilities and spiritual experiences. He said, if I want to boast, I can. And then he gives them a list of all the things that he's accomplished in chapter 11. 
And then here you see God gives Paul a thorn in this flesh. There's been a lot of debate on what that is. It could be a physical ailment. It could be some sort of emotional distress. But Paul says, I ask God to take it away. But this was God's answer. God didn't take that away. But he said in that verse that we just read, His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Humility positions us to view our human weakness as a key arena of God's intervention. When we are weak, that's when the power of God is made manifested. As believers, as Christians, we have a mandate to radiate God's light in this dark world. In Matthew 5.16, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And we can do that in our own strength. Imagine us positioning ourselves in humility before the God who created the heavens and the earth, the sovereign God, and having him do a special work in us. As Pastor Carl would say, Katie, bar the door for what God can do. So what's our turning point? What's our application today? We never go we never go back from a service without applying God's word. And here's what we have for you today. Praise God for his provision. Praise God that you have everything you need to walk in victory and radiate God's ex- excellence. Praise God for our commonness. Praise God that God uses human fragility to reveal his power and praise God for your weaknesses because your greatest asset is to boast in your weakness and find a strange contentment in the challenges of life we have access to this dunamis power that can revolutionize the way we interact with our family, our spouse, our kids, our communities, our city, our nation. Let's position ourselves in humility. We're going to transition to a time of communion. And communion is primarily where we remember the death and resurrection of our Lord. And there's no greater example of humility than in the life of Jesus. And even as the band comes up, I'm going to read a passage that, I, that shows the humility of Christ. If you don't have one of those communion cups, if you could just raise your hands, we have our ushers uh, armed with them so you, you can get that. But the passage is from Philippians chapter 2. This is what it says. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. 
do nothing from rivalry or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves let each of you not only look to his own interests but also to the interests of others have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of god did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross therefore god has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father and before we have communion together could we just take a couple of minutes to reflect on this passage to reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross we have access to this dynamis power because Jesus can we ask him to position ourselves to help us to position ourselves in humility so we can experience all that he has for us just thank you we just thank you god for your sacrifice for sending your son to die for us on the cross we're humble god we're humble by what you have done for us because of that 
Because of your death and the resurrection of your son, we have eternal life. We get to enjoy the pleasures of heaven for eternity. God, we just pray you would help us, God, to live a life that is worthy of your calling. Live a life that helps us to live out this junimus power. Help us to bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Would you please rise to your feet as we partake of the elements? The Lord Jesus, the same night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake of the bread together. After the same manner also, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the wine.
sing, oh, praise the one who paid my debt. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the Jesus paid it all one last time. Jesus paid it all, all to him I Sin and left crimson stain. He washed it. He washed it. He washed it. He washed it. He washed it white as snow. We just thank you, God, that you paid it all through the sacrifice of your son, and we get to experience the dunamis power because of what you've done. God, we just pray that this week and moving forward, God, you would help us to position ourselves in in humility at your feet, having a right view of who we are and who you are, God. You would help us to slowly, step by step, be able to experience this power that can revolutionize our relationships, this community, and our city, God. We just pray that you would use us and help us to be a light in this dark world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today. Before we head out, I do have a couple of announcements. If you're a first-time guest, again, just stop by the info kiosk. We have a special gift for you. We have our T7R groups launching in a month's time, February 8th. You know, we have our missional path. Yesterday was becoming a member. In a couple of weeks, we're going to, you know, the, the next step is T7R groups. These are just an eight-week discipleship orientation where we give you shared a framework, a shared framework, a shared language for discipleship, and also help us give you the tools to close the gap between where God wants us to be and where we currently are. These are going to be on Zoom. It's going to be on Thursday evenings for about eight weeks from 7 p.m. to 8.30. Sign-ups are going to begin next week, so just... Keep that in the back of your mind. Keep your Thursdays free. And I know as you come together in community, learn with each other, it's going to change. God is going to change your life. Well, next week we have a special Sunday. We have a special guest, actually. We're going to have Erwin Lutzer here preaching. So invite your friends and family. It's a great time. I'm sure, you know, Erwin Lutzer is going to stay back. You can, you can say hi to him, maybe even take a picture. But it's going to be a great day uh, next week. So 
I'll see you guys next week. Thank you for joining us. Have a wonderful week. Oh, praise the Lord.